Welcome back to the Bad Movie Journalist Podcast, where we celebrate the wonder of the absolutely incredible world of mediocre film. I'm Christian, certified son of Linda Hamilton and leader of the future resistance. And I am Connor, certified T-800 model 101 Terminator, but only in my mind. Connor, please don't kill me. I can't make any promises, my friend. Well, it's been nice knowing everyone. I guess this is my last episode recording on the Bad Movie Journalists. I am taking applications for new co-hosts at Bad Movie Journal on Twitter. Feel free to send me any audio samples, but do be forewarned you may meet the same fate as I am unable to control my urges to kill. Ooh, like like Dark Fate? Like Terminator Dark Fate? Like the most recent installment in this franchise? Exactly like that. Oh, excellent. Well, Connor, today, like I said, we're talking about Terminator Salvation, the 2009 movie. Um, so can you just give me a little summary over, you know, the brief details about this movie? Absolutely. So Terminator Salvation, like you said, came out in 2009. It is classified as an American military science fiction action film. Again, we should get a little dinger for like every time there's an adjective, just ding, 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 ding. I'm going to like that. Um, it's written by John Brancato and Michael Ferris and directed by Mick G. It is the fourth installment in the Terminator film series and serves as both a sequel to 2003's Terminator 3, The Rise of the Machines, and a prequel to 1984's The Terminator. You know, I have seen this movie modestly six times throughout my life. Uh, fun fact, I'm a big fan of this franchise overall. And I've never thought of it as a prequel to The Terminator. But I think, if anything, that is, like, probably the nail on the head for, like, what this movie's going for. Yeah, I'll launch into my feelings about it being a prequel in a little while. But um, I'm not sure you would know that if you didn't read it or watch any of the advertisements. This film stars Christian Bale and Sam Worthington in the main roles with Anton Yelchin, uh, the late, great Anton Yelchin, Moon Bloodgood, which is the best name of all time, Bryce Dallas Howard, Common, Michael Ironside, who is the ultimate that guy, and Helena Bonham Carter in the supporting roles. This film had a budget of modestly, you know, a measly $200 million. Um, it took home a total box of $371.4 million, missing both expectations on its domestic and global take. This is another one of those instances where I'm just so blown away that $371 million is missing the expectation. Just just crazy to me. Yeah, it's wild. The, the thing that I was once told was basically you got to double the budget to make your money back because they spend yeah. so much in advertising. Um, so whatever the end, take-home budget is, like the total number at the end, you have to double that, and that's what you have to take just to make your money back. Um, so it's very likely the studio lost money on this. As far as reception goes, um, it has a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes from 279 reviews, so not certified fresh, with a 38% audience score, and a 49 out of 146 reviews on Metacritic, so not the worst on Metacritic, actually. Um, this movie, and the consensus from critics was that this movie offers plenty in terms of effects, but really lacked the sort of emotional and plot sophistication that the original movies had. Um, now, Christian, I know you said you had seen this movie upwards of six to seven times. Now, upon this rewatch, what were your general thoughts? 
like like I said, I I've seen I saw this movie in theaters, and I've seen it a few times after, and I always thought this movie was pretty fun. Just overall, like it's a silly action movie, and it was pretty entertaining. And unfortunately, I think my opinion has soured a little bit on this movie. It's still pretty fun, but watching it now is an adult. There's some stuff where I see it and go, eh, that's, that's a little goofy. Yeah, I would probably agree with you. Uh, my main takeaway from this film, and we'll talk about it in a little while, was I wonder if this movie would have been slightly better regarded if it wasn't a Terminator movie. Now, this problem movie doesn't exist if it's not a Terminator movie, but if you were to strip away kind of that sort of mystique around the Terminator name and universe and just make this like a generic action film. I'm not saying it would have been well regarded, but I do wonder if it would have been slightly given more of a pass, I guess. I agree. Cause that's something like I was thinking about while watching this movie too, is what is the version of this movie? That's not a Terminator movie. And I'm not sure. I think the only reason I think it would be less good or pandered as a, non-terminated movie would just be because audiences would just see it as just like an action movie i don't think i think they need that terminator name to like bring in audiences even though it really it it doesn't matter whether or not this is a terminator movie it could be anything i guess is kind of the point i'm trying to make yeah i think we actually agree there where like i don't think this movie is a great movie by any means and i think because when I was reading the reviews and everything like that for it, basically everyone said, like, yeah, the effects are fun, the action's fun, everything's fine, but it doesn't really have any sort of plot. And they're not wrong. We'll dive into that in the bin. But they're not wrong about that. But I also was watching it going, this movie's kind of fun. It's like a really, like, just fun action film to watch. My partner who was watching it with me basically said it's a less it, less insane version of The Fast and Furious and therefore not as fun. But if you take it as, like, a generic action film, it kind of just checks all the boxes. So my thought when I was watching it was if people didn't come in with the expectations of this being a Christian Bale-led Terminator prequel, like, do you take it? with slightly less salt, I guess. Um, But I do have a point of view that I want to dive into in The Cell. That's a tease right there, guys. You have to listen to The Cell to get to my point of view. Um, But I do have a point of view in The Cell that I want to dive into that I think I want to hear your opinion on if it changes your perspective at all. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm definitely excited to jump into that. But it it would be very interesting to see what a film version of this non-Terminator would be which is actually an excellent segue into what I'm going to dub our a segment of this podcast called the alternate casting universe the ACU uh, do we we got the MCU no we're the ACU we're the letter A that's like I don't know how many letters better than M I, I don't know Marvel all I'm saying is alternative casting universe I think we guys got you beat. All, all we're saying is that if you did this list alphabetically, we're coming up first. So Marvel, suck it. Um, but yes, let's dive into the alternative casting universe. Kate Brewster, um, who is John Connor's wife in this movie and is played by Bryce Dallas Howard, originally played as Claire Danes in Terminator 3, who turned down the opportunity to play it in this one um not because of script or anything it was said because of scheduling conflict but then charlotte gainsburg who i've never seen in anything 
I had to like really deep dive into the internet to find this woman and what she's been in was cast, but pulled out due to a scheduling conflict and then was eventually replaced by Bryce Dallas Howard. Are you aware of Charlotte Gainsbourg as an actress? You know what? I am going to find out right now because I've definitely heard her name before, and I want to know. I looked it up and was like, Bryce Dallas Howard, all right, Claire Danes, all right. And then I saw Charlotte Gainsbourg, and I've never heard of this person. I looked in her filmography, and I was like, I've never seen any of these movies. And then she apparently does music, too, and I was looking through albums. I've literally never heard of this person or any of the things she's ever done. I've actually never seen anything with her either. I know that... There's been a couple things that she's been in that had some pretty well acclaim, like Antichrist, for example, her starring her and Willem Dafoe. I know it had some people like that movie, the Nymphomaniac series I've heard, uh, like definitely things about as well. And Melancholia, also definitely a movie that I um, have not seen, but I'm pretty familiar with. Lars von Trier is a pretty cool director overall. So I'm familiar with her, but I've never actually seen anything with her in it. Awesome. Well, Charlotte, I do apologize. It sounds like you're in some great things, and we'll we'll check you out in the future. Um, the role of Serena Kogan, who is the doctor, um, played by Helena Bonham Carter, was originally cast as Tilda Swinton, but she had to drop out really shortly before the filming was to take place, so HBC was brought in to replace her. Um, but she had to film all of her scenes in 10 days. So... I'm not sure if this is directly correlated with kind of like her limited availability for this movie, but this role was originally supposed to be like a really big role. They were supposed to have all this sort of awesome stuff for her to do. It was a really fleshed out role. She was supposed to be like revealed to be an android at some point. Um, and then all of it basically got cut. She's only in the movie for about five minutes and it's mostly in the beginning scene. And then those couple things that they do where she's portrayed as the face of Skynet at the end when Marcus makes his way into the base. Um, but that was supposed to be told to Swinton originally and a much, much bigger role. So, yeah, I think that's definitely another one of those instances where, like, I that, that's something I felt confused about in this movie, was that I never felt like her character was used nearly enough. And because of that, it just seemed confusing to me why was she, why she in this movie was all. Like, if you're going to make it such a, like, bit part, do we even really need that character? I don't know if you, maybe you have that character, but you don't, cast Helena Bonham Carter and or Tilda Swinton in that role and then like Helena Bonham Carter was given like really high like like casting like on the what's it called on the commercials and everything like that she was given like you know really like high up casting like they portrayed her as being a huge factor in this movie and then she's barely in it she's actually not in it in between like the first what after the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes she's literally not in it um so that was an interesting Interesting choice on their part to get some people to the theater. Um, and then the role of Marcus Wright, which is the role played by Sam Worthington. Josh Brolin was asked to play the part, but turned it down. Ironically, goes on to play Cable, um, who is another essentially humanoid cyborg in the Deadpool series. And then the last one is not exactly an alternative casting universe, but Terry Crews is in this film, sort of. He was cast as a character named Captain Jericho. But all of his scenes ended up being cut from the final film. He's still credited in the film, but he's only visible in one scene, and he's a dead body left in the aftermath of a battle. It's that, like, both of those things are insane to me. First thing I want to say is, give me this version of the movie with Josh Brolin and Terry Crews in it, because I think 
the Josh Brolin would have been a great Terminator, and we'll jump into it more in a second when we get into the bin. But I think Josh Brolin would have been significantly better than Marcus Wright and Terry Crews. Just look at the guy. Obviously, the man is pretty typecasted because he's a big muscle man, and like that kind of sucks. But also, he would have been a great fit for this universe overall, especially knowing that they filmed a bunch of scenes with him in it. It just seems like such a wasted opportunity not to at least use some of them. Yeah, I don't understand why they cut him out. I, you know, and I couldn't find anything on why they chose not to use any of his scenes. But they still paid him and still credited him, so I don't know. Everyone's talking about the Snyder cut of Batman vs Superman. I'd really like to see the McG cut where Terry Crews is in this film, um, just just to be able to watch Terry Crews in this because I think Terry Crews would be a great fit in any universe, any movie, anywhere. He's a delight of a human being. Oh my God! Give me the uh, the MC. Give me the McG cut. Like release. That that's our new hashtag is release the Mick G cut. Release the Mick G cut. I'm gonna get that trending on Twitter. I'm about ready to dive into the bin, Christian. Are you? Yes, I am in. Let's jump right in that old stinky trash here and swim around this dumpster. All right, my friend. Into the bags of garbage we go. My main issue with this movie. This is gonna be something that I feel like we're gonna talk about for a wide variety of minutes. The plot in this movie does not matter. I'm not even saying it's a bad plot. Like, I think the idea of showing us the original, like, I guess prototype you could call it, of the T-800 that ends up being the type of Terminator that Arnold is, I think that's actually really cool. I'm really into seeing that. But it doesn't matter. Like, what happens with Marcus in this movie does not matter at all into the Terminator films. You can't call this a prequel to a film and then have it be a a looped plot that just ends up not mattering to the original films that you were trying to tie it into. It really doesn't. That I agree. That's easily the biggest problem with this movie is that it doesn't mean anything. There's no point to this movie because the first one exists. You know that John Connor doesn't die and he's able to save Kyle Reese and he's going to send him back in time. Like you know these things are going to happen. So you're watching the entire movie and Kyle Reese is captured by the Terminators and everything and it doesn't matter at all because we already know he makes it. Yeah, and there's like the, you know, it's supposed to be the really, you know, climactic scene at the end where Christian Bell gets stabbed in the chest by the Terminator uh, and and you're supposed to feel like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe that happened. And the, my actual reaction when I was watching this last night was, well, he doesn't die. Like, you know John Connor doesn't die, so something's gonna happen. Like, because of that, there's no... And I mean, this is a problem with some prequels anyway, is like, you know what's gonna happen. But the thing that I was thinking about after I watched this was like, I don't know, Christian, if you've ever watched Better Call Saul, um, but it's essentially a similar situation where it's a prequel to something and we know what the end result is gonna be. We know what what who ends up making it who's involved in the next you know main arc or whatever you want to call it but they still do a really good job of 
keeping me on edge with stuff that's going to happen and having me wonder how people are going to get out of these situations and everything like that. And here I was just like, well, I know what's going to happen at the end. Kyle Reese is going to make it. John Connor's going to survive. Marcus is in zero things after this, so I doubt he's going to make it. And that's just what ends up happening. It's a closed loop of a story. And you would have been better off sectioning this off as like a side story, almost like the way they did Rogue One with Star Wars. And then just like, you know kind of having a surprise at the end where they looped it in rather than making this a prequel because it just, it doesn't feel prequely. It doesn't feel like it, it matters at all to the main storyline. It really doesn't. And I think the Star Wars movies, in my opinion, and I know you share this opinion too, they're a great way to do prequels. I think that Solo and Rogue One are both pretty solid prequels to the original trilogy. The prequel movies, there's a little bit more room for debate on. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about Solo and Rogue One, where they are... Of course, we know where those characters are going to go, but they're additive. You're not... The point of Solo is not whether or not Han Solo is going to die. It's simply explaining a little bit more about this character, showing, oh, this is where he grew up. This is what life's like. This is why he has those mindsets. And this movie just doesn't have that. I think a much better version of this movie is focusing on Kyle Reese and his journey and what leads someone to abandon everything they know and go back in time on a whim to save the world. Yeah, I think if you do if you do that movie, you can call it a prequel, right? I don't think centering a movie... Because really, Marcus, Sam Worthington's character, is the main character of this movie. And centering it around him and then just having him die and never be mentioned again, it, it's a kind of a hard sell to, to tell me that this is a movie I should invest in. It almost feels like, you know, we're over a decade later, but it just feels like they were... I don't know if calling it a money grab by, like, throwing the prequel title on there is, like, the right way to phrase it. But that's kind of what it feels like to me afterwards, is they were like, oh, we'll call it a prequel and people will come see it. And it'll be, like, a weird side story that they like. And instead, it set a lot of expectations to this movie because you're calling it a prequel to one of the most famous and beloved movie franchises of all time. And so if you can't deliver on that promise with all of the expectations that people are inevitably going to have then you kind of have a disaster on your hand and that's kind of what happened to this movie that's definitely a really really good point and the terminator franchise kind of fell off for a variety of reasons but like you said the reason that these later terminator movies are so much harder to watch and just nowhere near as good is because those first two are so good even more so the second one than the first one terminator 2 is widely regarded as one of the best if not the single best action movie of all time you watch that movie now the effects still hold up that movie still looks incredible so making anything after that like it's just really tough to follow rise of the machines i thought was decent this movie's really really rough Terminator Genesis is just a weird and confusing mess that I, I think you would need six PhDs to be able to explain the plot to that movie. It wasn't until the most recent sequel, Dark Fate, that I thought that they made anything good. And even though I like that movie, it's not Terminator 1 or 2. Just nothing is ever going to live up to that. And that's the biggest problem with all of these sequels. Yeah, that's, that's 100% true. And I forget who it was, but someone from the original original movies was asked about like this movie being made and the continued use of like the Terminator name and everything like that. And they basically said like, 
we didn't need to make any movies past the first two movies, but, you know, people want to get money wherever they can, so they're just going to keep going until people stop showing up. And I don't know, I think that's a little bit of a cynical way to look at it, because I do, as like a fan of this this world and universe, want more sort of IP to dive into and, and stuff like that. I'm a similar way with like Star Wars, where I take in like all the extended universe, and I think you could dive into a lot of fun stories that would really captivate the audience within like the Terminator world, but I'm not sure this is the right way to go about it. With that said, I do want to talk about Mr. Bale's performance in this movie, Christian. Um, Christian Bale is a good actor. He's a great actor. I'm willing to put it like that. I don't think he did a good job in this movie. I'm not saying he did a bad job, but I know the level of acting that I that I've seen Christian Bale do before, and he does not get to it here. He really, really doesn't. Before moving forward, I want to say, how convenient is it that Christian Bale's first name is Christian, and then he's playing John Connor in this movie, and since it's kind of a war-focused movie for most of the movie, he's being called Connor. Just a really weird synchronicity that I think is really amazing. (laughs) This movie was fated to be on our podcast. (laughs) Exactly. But I have to agree with you, Christian Bale obviously a great actor he's amazing in so many things that nothing will ever top his portrayal of batman or american psycho or the machinist and the man is still knocking out great movies left and right he's not a good john connor i never really pictured this guy as john connor john connor always seemed kind of more of like a stoic headstrong leader figure more than anything and like Christian Bale's fine he's a good action star but he just doesn't translate that commanding general in charge almost Michael Ironside might have been a better choice to play the John Connor character also there are scenes where he is pretty much just playing Batman whenever he's hopping on the walkie-talkie or intercom He's doing Batman voice. Christian Bale pretty much just said, ah, screw it, I'll play Batman one more time. Yeah, I wrote down that he's doing the Batman voice at parts as well, um, which is, and this is not like where we talked about Ralph Fiennes in Clash of the Titans doing Voldemort voice and maybe just wondering if that's the only villain voice we had. I've seen Christian Bale do so many different accents in all his movies. He's done a Boston accent, a Southern accent. He's British, so he's got that accent he's done a great american accent to the point where i was surprised the first time i found out christian bale was english like he's very good at this and then for some reason just whipped out the growly batman voice at one point um but i think it's worth noting that i don't think christian bale phoned in this film like we watched a lot of movies and we're like this person did not care about this performance Christian Bale is, like, famously, like, a really, really invested actor. You know, the the stuff he's done to his body for different films is well-cataloged and everything like that. But Christian Bale had to be talked into this movie. And I do want to run through this story very quickly. So, he was approached to do the film and apparently told the director, Mick G, quote, Nothing in your filmography suggests that you have what it takes to do this movie properly, end quote and had to be talked into it by McGee and the studio, with McGee describing all these different ways he was going to evolve as a director for this. And then basically afterwards, Christian Bale said, no, I was right, he was not up to snuff to be able to do a film like this. And then this is famously the movie where Christian Bale went on his absolute tirade at a 
production crew member dropping something like 36 or 37 F-bombs going off on this guy. So I wonder sometimes if that if it wasn't just his frustration with having been talked into taking this film and watching it on set not play out or play out exactly the way he thought it was that kind of affected his performance. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely something really, really good to point out here that I didn't know going before into this that Christian Bale was kind of unhappy with what McGee wanted to do, but I agree with him. I don't think Christian Bale acting like a complete asshole on set is really okay ever, but it does make me kind of understand a little bit more why he was so frustrated making this movie because he pretty much went in there and thought, man, I know this is, this is just not going to work out, but I'll give it a shot. You know what? I'll I'll humor it. I'll show up. I'll do it. Maybe I'll be wrong. You know, it's kind of like everyone's had that experience of taking a job where you thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is the job. I'm going to make it here. And then six months later, you realize, man, I was right. I knew why I shouldn't have done this. So I get why he was mad. And like you said, Christian Bale is not what's wrong with this movie. He's a good actor. I just think that this specific character is probably not best portrayed by him. Yeah, no. And I think this is another thing, like when we did Jupiter Ascending, where I was saying, like, when you get good actors like Tatum and Kunis, and in this case, Bale, and you surround them with screenwriting and production that's just not up to snuff it almost exposes them a little bit seemingly because you watch and you're like what doesn't click about this but then you watch American Hustle and you watch him do such a wild role but you know in a movie that's done really well and to me it's more of a reflection on the movie than anything else but it I just didn't feel like he clicked on the level he needed to to portray such an iconic character. Um, and whether or not that's his fault or the fault of the producer, the director, or whoever's involved in the production of this movie, you know, can be debated. Um, but that does lead me to my next point, Christian, which is something that I don't think can be debated. And I'd like to welcome you to piece of evidence number two in the eventual libel and slander suit that Sam Worthington is going to launch against us. He's essentially the main character in this movie, like I mentioned, and I continue to never feel anything when Sam Worthington's on screen. He's given a really, really intricate role here, where he's supposed to be struggling between being human and being robot. He's supposed to really, like, be emotionally torn at parts in this, right? Like, he's never distressed at all. He screams a lot. But I just feel like he's screaming. Like, at no point do I ever feel like after it's revealed that he is a Terminator and that he's robotic, but he but he remains human in his mind and his heart and everything like that, I never at any point feel like he's struggling with that. And you should struggle with that. Imagine you woke up today and found out you were a robot. Like, that's a huge thing. And he just doesn't seem to be phased by it at all, marred for the fact that he screams no three times for about 10 seconds each. It is another one of the glaring issues of this movie. He's It's a really poorly defined character just to start out with, I feel like, because the idea is that he was a human and then they somehow turn him into a robot, but it's not like the T-800 where... 
canonically, the T-800 is a cyber, is a robot, is an actual robot with skin, with an organic skin covering it. So it's definitely not a living thing. It is a robot with a layer of skin on top of it. What is Sam Worthington? Is he a hybrid? Is he a human and a robot? Because when they peel off his skin, everything looks pretty cybernetic, but he's also got like a human heart. So they took out his heart and then put it into this robot body. And then at the end, they like take his heart out and give it to John Connor. And there's also a part where Common shoots him in the chest. And then like five minutes later, Christian Bale claims that no no one's tried shooting him in the heart yet, which is just just crazy because Common literally did in the scene before. That's a bit of a sidestep. Sam Worthington just I'm sorry, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's obviously great in Avatar. That franchise is gonna make him probably a billion dollars here in a couple years. But the dude just cannot has any he just doesn't have any presence on screen to an annoying extent the terminator is a robot it's just a robot arnold schwarzenegger has never been a great actor and he was amazing as the terminator iconic so how do you take him and have him follow up arnold schwarzenegger this just absolute killing machine with no feeling he is a horrifying figure to have on screen and then you just have sam worthington who's just like a dude but he's also more advanced than the other terminators but like ultimately he's just a dude nothing about his performance tells me that he's dealing with this kind of back and forth nothing about his performance tells me that he is secretly a robot he just seems like a dude who shoo up on set and said all right, I I guess I'm I guess I'm this guy. And even more than all of that, that scene where he finds out he's a robot is just so bad. It he he's sitting there and he clearly looks like he's in a costume of like just flesh and like squishy stuff on his arm to make it look like he's a robot, but it looks really bad. He's yelling just completely unconvincingly as Christian Bale is kind of like talking to him and revealing the fact that he is a cyborg i'm not exaggerating i think this scene is less convincing and worse than when anakin finds out that he is now in this robot body and is darth vader here's the thing and i don't want to i don't want to spend too long piling on sam worthington because we did that in clash of the titans for about 35 minutes but you could talk me into accepting a plot where this dude is like an experiment, right? Like, they're they're trying to see... They've made the T-800, or they're making the T-800, and they're trying to see if they can take humans and make them robot or terminators right like that would be a cool little side thing to explore you could you could get me invested in that you could do a movie or a show or something where that's like the main thing going on and i'd be like that's really interesting i want to see where that goes even if we know 
ultimately it's not what happens in the main film, so it doesn't really have to go anywhere. I'm interested to see what happens there. The problem is you have to get someone who can really portray the struggle between being human and realizing that he's now part of the the other side. He's part of the side that's ruined the planet that he's on, that's exterminating his race, and all he does is yell no about it. And, like, he doesn't struggle with it emotionally at all. It's just, it falls so flat. And I just had a thought of, like, what if you switched the two roles and you had Christian Bale, who I've never been into as, like, this this huge action guy. I do think he's great in um, the Batman films, but even that's kind of, like, a subtlety to it because he's also Bruce Wayne, who's not an action fit star. And when you put him in the suit, he doesn't have to emote as much. So I don't think Christian Bale is, like, this amazing action actor, but imagine if you had made Christian Bale this guy and let him show those emotional, you know, dualities between thinking you're human and realizing you're a Terminator. Like, I think that would have come off the screen a lot better. And to me, this is one of those things where it's like, we've talked about this a couple times, you cast the main guy or one of the main guys and it's so wrong and so off that it just drags down so much of the film. I agree. I think that what you said there is actually another really good way to take this movie, where I think that's kind of the point of Sam Worthing's character, is that he is that human that was turned into a machine, but it's just not flushed out at all. You have maybe a two-minute scene of him in the beginning before he's transformed, and then he is just a robot for the rest of the movie. So if you're going to commit to making that movie about him dealing with this thing, about being turned into a robot, flush that out. I think that this movie would have been two good movies if you would have made one movie focused on Kyle Reese and his journey and then another movie focused on this guy's movie about being turned into a robot. I think those are individually good stories, but this movie just has absolutely no time to flesh either of those ideas out. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And that is something that I want to talk about when we get to the cell. Um, Again, with that tease, I'm really good at this. But Christian, I do want to move into the beauty. Is there anything else you want to touch on in the bin real fast? No, that is it. Let's jump into it. Awesome. The beauty of this film, why is this cast so strong? There's no... They basically don't give any real screen time to anyone but Christian Bale or Sam Worthington. And maybe you could argue... um, Moon Bloodgood, or whatever her name was. Sorry, miss. Um, but besides those two, they really don't give scream time to anyone, and yet this cast is loaded. Like, Common, Bryce Dallas Howard, and, I mean, the great, the late Anton Yelchin. It was great to see him on screen, but it's also, like, so sad to see him come on every movie that I watch with him now. I agree. It's always devastating to see him. He's another one of those few actor deaths that when I saw, like, really affected me because I've always loved him. I was a really big fan of him. I went and saw every movie that he was in. When he was in Star when he was in Star Trek, I was so excited that they announced that. When he was in this, I was so excited that he announced that. When he was in Fright Night, The Green Room, all these excellent portrayals and performances by this actor that, like... It just, it just, it just really sucks. I, I, I really like the guy. How he died is really sad. Everything surrounding it is just really, really terrible. Other than that, like you said, the cast of this movie is overall strong. You got some real heavy hitters in here. Christian Bale, huge name. Bryce Dallas Howard, huge name. Helena Bonham Carter, excellent actress, huge name. Common, 
this was kind of like one of the first things I remember seeing him act in. But now he's in the John Wick movies as like a main character, and he's awesome in those. Who knew he would have blown up like that? So it, this movie does have a really, really solid cast all around. Have you ever seen the uh, the thing where people talk about how Common basically is only able to portray a hitman now because his last like four or five movies he's all been he's been like a hitman or an assassin, you know, an assassin in all of them. I know, but I'll tell you what, that tracks perfectly. It's basically like this long-running joke of like three years now that basically Common is only able to play Hitman at this point, and people think it's been like negotiated in contracts and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's pretty funny to go down if you have like ten minutes later, but yeah, the cast in this movie is really strong, and then the action and effects in this movie hold up really well for a movie that's ten years old. I mean, the budget was $200 million, so, you know... It's to be expected, but we've talked about movies on this podcast that had similar budgets, and we talked about how the effects were awful, and then to watch this movie, I thought everything visually-wise held up really well considering what it what what it could look like when you're talking about having, you know, Terminators and all these ships in this apocalyptic wasteland. It could look really bad, and I thought it looked really good. I thought so, too. It, I was actually really surprised by that fact, because... Recently, we've seen a few movies that are kind of around this time period. Battleship kind of came out around here. Green Hornet came out around here. Clash of the Titans. These are all like pretty similar movies in terms of timeline. And all those movies look really bad. This movie looks awesome. This movie, I think it looks better than Iron Man. I mean, like the effects are really really solid through and through i mean this movie could have been made in 2015 it could have been released right alongside jupiter ascending and i would have thought this movie looks awesome yeah i also thought the action was really fun in this film especially like those early car chases with um with worthington and yelchin trying to run away from the terminators when they first meet and then out of the gas station on the uh, pickup truck i thought all of that stuff looked really really cool and was really captivating to watch the only thing that i i wanted to call out about that was i don't know if this is sam or not but when sam worthington's fighting like the rednecks in that like rundown i guess nascar stadium i thought the and this is just something where i noticed this um, because i watch a lot of films and i'm kind of into filmography they did a lot of cuts in that film that in that sequence that they didn't have to do um, which just doesn't lead me to believe that sam worthington knows how to fake fight oh yeah i definitely noticed that as well and that's actually something that i'm always unfortunately too aware of if you look at movies like Civil War, for example, it has the exact same issue. Even if you see shows like Game of Thrones, a lot of the fight scenes have that same problem where you can just tell that these actors were not able to get the choreography. And because of that, we need to have these really, really close up shots, these very, very fast cuts between everything where if you really think about it is incredibly disoriented, but we are in the beauty. So I want to go back to your point about talking about the action and effects in this movie and say that a lot of it really, really works. You really get a, you really do get a sense of the human's plight against the machines is pretty much completely pointless and that the only way to save them at all is to send Kyle Reese back in time because the machines, Skynet, they have these giant, basically, Transformers... Uh, Pacific Rim uh, Jaeger sized machines that are literally harvesting humans. You've got 
these motorcycle guys that are running around that look pretty cool. I think that scene where like Christian Bale trips one and then goes into it and hacks, hacks it and rides it away, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's also pretty cool. Same thing with like the water terminators, how there's one that's like basically a tail, which is kind of the same scene from Transformers where they cut the tail off that one robot and it's fighting back in the lab. It's the same scene, whatever. It looks cool. I like seeing the T-600s where the idea of them was that they were pretty much like a bigger, bulkier, less advanced uh, Terminator and it has like just rubber skin on it so it doesn't look good on the machine at all and it pretty much looks like a robot corpse wearing a Halloween mask and like that's pretty cool. So I thought all of the action stuff worked really well in this movie. And something else I think is really interesting about this is that canonically the world ends in like the late 90s in the Terminator universe. So human technology never really evolved to anything past that. So they really are just like limited by late 90s technology. And it's just interesting to see how divergent technology could get if machines focus on building machines based on what we thought they would be like in the 90s and not what our perception of it is today i don't know it, it's a very abstract idea but i think it's pretty cool yeah no I, i'm 100 percent agreement i thought one of the coolest things about this movie was because i think when people think about like terminator right you think about arnold and that sort of model but then you also mainly think of the iconic like robot skeleton version where it's just a humanoid robot with those like killer red eyes walking at you um that's kind of like the main thing you think about and it was fun to see all these different things that they had this prisoner transport and these like fighter jets and like they had one terminator came out and just was a regular terminator but one of his arms was a machine gun um they had those like you were kind of talking about like the tail but they had like this almost like water snake that was killing people in that in that lake it looked like um, like all of those things and getting to see where that technology went was really, really fun because like you were saying, like this film is supposed to take place in 2018. So like decades after, you know, we've seen like humans stop being able to evolve technology wise and they're still talking on like walkie talkies and AM radios. And then, you know, we've got this huge prisoner transport that's just got claws that are grabbing people out of the air and this, like, tracker droid that's summoning all these, like, incredible-looking Terminators to come wipe out the humans. It's really depressing to think about it that way. But it is really fun to get to explore kind of what that, you know, hellscape of a future would look like if the robots got to just build out all this stuff. Yeah, and another thing that I want to touch on that you mentioned was that this movie takes place in 2018 that I I, I let out a very audible oof every time I heard that. There's a scene between Anton Yelchin and Sam Worthington where Sam Worthington says what, what's the day? What year is it? And freaking Anton Yelchin just responds it's 2018. And I was just like, oh my god, that they just missed the mark on that so hard. But what I remembered after that was that, hey, it's 2020 and the world's basically ending 
right now. So I guess they weren't that far off. Yeah, to be to be honest, like I know they were trying to do um like uh sort of oh this could be, you know, modern day sort of thing. And then here in 2020, we're sitting here and you texted me that and I was like, oh, they were only off by like two years. Give it give it two years and that'll, that'll probably be what LA actually looks like. Yeah, exactly. God. Another thing you put down here was um, the T-800 at the end of the movie with Arnold's face. Yeah, so I... So there's a lot of like unnecessary nostalgia callbacks like when Bale says like, I'll be back or the constant reference to the Connor name, which... I, I should have kept track of because they said it at least 106 times. But when when that... I saw this movie in theaters when it first came out. And when that door opens and the fog goes out and the Arnold T-800 walks out and it's young Arnold. You know, it's obviously compute, you know, CGI, but it's young Arnold. I remember the theater erupted in applause. Like, the only thing I could compare it to is I went and saw The Dark Knight... Um, at the midnight showing and when Gordon comes back and he's not dead and he pulls off his mask to arrest the Joker we lit like the the audience like gave a standing ovation to that moment in the theater this was the only thing I compare it to like it sounded like someone had just won the Super Bowl in there so they were so excited to see the Arnold Schwarzenegger and when he came out I clapped because I was just sort of reliving that moment in time. It was it was a lot of fun to kind of go back. I compl- I 100% agree with all of that. When I saw it in theaters, I got extremely hyped. And you know what? That scene pretty much makes this movie for me because every time I see him walk out, I know it's not really Arnold Schwarzenegger, but man, it's just so cool to see he walks out. They've got the classic Terminator motif going in the music and it just is awesome it's really really cool he dies quickly but whatever when he walks out I get so excited every time it's just it's awesome it's exactly what you want to see in these movies because you haven't seen him the entire time and now walks out Arnold and you know oh shit this guy is gonna mess some stuff up right now so I love seeing it this is a really really quick fun fact that I want to say but it's one of those things that is just so ridiculous that I feel like I just need to call out because people need to know about this. So if you weren't aware, Connor, canonically in the series, the T-800 model is based on a human within the Terminator universe called Sergeant Candy, who is played by Schwarzenegger. And Sergeant Candy has like this really kind of higher pitched southern accent that is kind of just ridiculous and they actually have to find this other guy whose name is Sherwood Olsen who is just an assistant to Cyberdyne Systems CFO Thomas Shelby to be the voice for this character obviously when this scene was filmed Arnold Schwarzenegger dubbed this Sherwood Olsen's character's voice so that they could replace him. I don't understand at all why they couldn't just base the T-800 on one guy and they had to have this convoluted explanation of, well, yeah, he looked like him, but his voice wasn't a match. So we had to find this other guy's whose voice matched. And then that's how we got the Terminator. Instead of just explaining he was just this one guy, 
I don't know. It's insane, but I just feel like everyone needs to know this. It's in a deleted scene or a bonus scene from Terminator Rise of the Machines, and it's just one of the most ludicrous facts that I know that I just can't wrap my head around. The only explanation I have for that, and, um, you know, I'm not going to accuse anyone of anything, um, but I would just say cocaine and move on. Um, that's the only <laughs> yes. the only way that human mind tracks like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was awesome seeing Arnold come out in this, um, especially because we didn't think he was going to be in it because he was the, you know, strangely somehow still the governor of California at the time. So it was definitely that, like, Undertaker coming out in 2020, like, WWE, like, pop when the gong goes and everyone goes nuts. Like, that's what it felt like. He walked out there and we were like, oh, shit. Like, we did not expect this. Um, But I do want to move into the sell, Christian. Is there anything else you want to bring up in the beauty? No, that is it. Let's sell some people on this movie. All right, Christian, I'm going to take you down a quick lane and I want you to give me your thoughts afterwards. I want you to think about this movie like this. Think about Terminator Salvation as an optional DLC, downloadable content, to the Terminator franchise. It's not essential to Terminator. It's not essential to the world. But it's this fun little side quest you get to go on where you get to see Marcus's storyline. You get to see his redemption at the end. You get to see a cool little side plot about how they were testing these like really advanced humanoid... Uh, Terminators and trying to see if they could take humans and make them Terminators and it ends up failing um, because Marcus is just too human at the end. And this is a criminal, obviously. He's portrayed as this guy who who killed people, right? Or assisted in the murder or allowed some somehow the murder of people in the beginning. He's not a good guy. He's portrayed as a terrible guy who goes on this redemption arc and his story loosely ties into that of John Connor, who's this, obviously, you know, the main figure in the Terminator series. You get to see him a little bit. Um, so it kind of loosely ties in. So I want people to watch this movie and think of it like that. Now, do you spend $200 million making a DLC for an iconic franchise? is a different topic, right? But we're 12 years past this movie or 11 years past this movie. We can't have that conversation anymore. We've got to talk about it in modern day. And I think if you take this movie and you don't make it a prequel and you make it this fun little side arc you get to go on, that's a closed loop. It doesn't it doesn't affect anything that happens past this movie. It's fun to do. It's you now, you know, take Sam Worthington's performance and everything out of it. It's fun to go on this little little journey here and it has no effect on the Terminator series whatsoever. This is just the poor man's Rogue One to Star Wars where and I'm not comparing it to Rogue One because that's one of my top 5 favorite films of all time and easily one of the top 3 Star Wars movies ever made, but it's so much better of a fit as like a little side project than it is as a prequel that I think if you look at it from that it's almost, like, double as good of a movie. I definitely agree. Something that I think Star Wars has been pretty good about, actually, recently, despite the fact that they seemingly have not been able to get a solid trilogy going, something I think they've been really, really great about is the comics. You have characters like Dr. Aphra, for example, where she's not really relevant to the movies at all, But you read the comics and you see that she was pretty involved in some of the stuff going around, around the original trilogy timeline of the movies. And you don't need to know that to watch any of the movies, 
but you go and you get a little bit more context about some stuff that was going on in this universe outside of Luke. And that's pretty cool. And that's kind of what this is. So I think that reeling the scope of this back and either making it a comic or making it a short film or making it a limited series, kind of like a three or four episode thing. And its only goal is to add some more context to a universe we already know. I think this is just much better all around. Having this as a flagship movie, this is an official installment of the franchise, is a tough position for this movie to be in. Scale back the scope of it, make it just purely supplemental content, and I think this movie would be better received. Yeah, no, I think, and that, and this is kind of, you know, the reason to, you know, pull back the doors a little bit, the reason I initially wanted to do this podcast is because this is the sort of stuff where you can look back on these movies and go, all right, this movie doesn't work the way people thought it did, but look at it like this and it's actually a lot of fun and you can find the silver lining in movies really easily. And I think this is a good example of that where like if you take this seriously and you make this like this whole big thing uh, where it's a prequel and it plays into you know, John Connor's ultimate arc and everything like that, then it doesn't work, right? But if you look at it as like a sideline of, you know, if you look into the storyline, like a little side loop, a little fun journey you get to go on, I think this is a lot of fun and it's a good action film to sit down and watch. I agree with you. I think that this movie is a prime example and probably just an all-around archetypal summer blockbuster movie. This movie, it, it, it just screams mid-2000s, you know, right around 2010, just summer action movie. You put this on any point, you don't really need to figure out where you are in the movie. It's a pretty simple movie to follow since there's not really any main big plot points in it. it's You can just jump into it halfway and you would know what's going on. Another one of my favorite podcasts, We Hate Movies, they have this ongoing joke, which I'm pretty sure I've said before on this podcast, but whatever. They call some movies hangover movies. For example, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I can speak to experience on this. Excellent hangover movies. I think this movie, too, falls into that category of this is a total hangover movie. You wake up on a Sunday morning, you're not feeling good, you're not feeling too well, you had a pretty exciting night before this is a movie you throw on and you'll just really, really enjoy it through and through. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. This is like a perfect, and this is a, I'm going to steal the name of a podcast I listen to. Um, this is a perfect rewatchables. Um, that's a, a really good movie podcast you should check out. They, they just talk about like movies that are, you can just put on and watch it anytime. This is exactly one of those movies where it's like, you could turn this on 35, 45, 55 minutes in and go, oh, this is fun. I'll sit down for the last hour. Um, and I think there's there's value to something like that in, in society. Like, you don't need every movie to be Whiplash or Lady Bird, where at the end of it, or The Imitation Game, where at the end of it, you come out and you're like, good lord, I'm exhausted and I need a drink. But you sometimes you just want a movie to throw on where you can just turn on and it's on TNT and you're like, well, this is fine. I'll watch this for 45 minutes before I run out to dinner. I think this is that type of movie. Exactly. That's like the exact type of thing that this is, is that you don't have anything else to watch. You just kind of want something on in the background. Throw this on and like, that's it. And 
that doesn't sound like a glowing endorsement, but sometimes you just need something silly just to fill a void, and I think this movie definitely nails that. It's a fun time. The soundtrack's done by Danny Elfman, which I didn't know, and that's awesome. The effects still hold up. So I say, hey, you want to watch just a pretty generally fun action movie? Throw this on. So that's pretty much it for The Cell. I know it was a little brief this time, but, you know, I think the reasons for this movie, to go see this movie, are right there. They're pretty simple reasons. And that moves us into our final question. So this week, Connor, I ask you, who would you like to see play the Terminator in another movie? So I saw this question and I thought long and hard about a couple different things. And there's different avenues you can go down, right? You could do, like, I think if you want to go with a big, brawly guy, right? Like, a Dave Batista would be great in this role. He's got a lot of personality he can bring to it. He's obviously very physically imposing. Um, so he'd be, you know, believable in terms of, like, the killing machine aspect of it. So I think that would be one avenue to explore. I personally am a man of subverting expectations, though. I'm a big believer in doing things that you don't see coming. With that said, Christian, what if you were to go to the theater, right? They don't tell you who is in the movie. And then it turns out that the Terminator, the death machine, the ultimate killing machine, is Jesse Eisenberg. Let's just take in that. And like, let's do it like he's not portraying Lex Luthor, right? Let's say he never gets to speak. He's just this little guy who walks on the screen and is this just unstoppable killing machine for one reason or another. You punch him, he doesn't move. You He punches you, you fly back 20 feet. He can, you know, do all sorts of just insane killing things to you. But it's Jesse Eisenberg, so you never see it coming. That sort of thing is very niche probably to, like, me and me alone, but I would find that very entertaining. That would be a fun movie, a fun version of this movie to watch. I was actually kind of thinking something similar for like another one of the characters I was thinking. So I've been recently watching Mr. Robot. Not sure if you've seen it, but it's really, really great. And Rami Malek in it kind of plays a similar stoic character, very, very low emotions, very, very logical, kind of unsettling person. And I think that would be another thing really, really good. You don't always need a physically imposing dude. Sometimes you just need someone who can translate that cold and calculated. Maybe this guy isn't all there. He's a robot and have like a completely different type of Terminator villain. And I think like that could be pretty fun too. Yeah, I think that's why when I talked about earlier in the podcast, like it would have been cool to see this this version of like the Terminator where they were taking humans and making them Terminators. It would have been cool to see that fleshed out because you could do a lot of things like this where, you know, like Star in this movie is a small girl who's a mute. But imagine if, like, you couldn't tell if Star was a Terminator or not. Like, that would be really fun. And, like, Rami Malek is the sort of guy who you could have almost play like a Terminator spy where he is a guy you could very convincingly put as, like, a military guy, right? Like, he's very, he, he can, like, in, like you were saying, Mr. Robot, he plays, like, a very stoic, sort of serious guy. You could very easily see that guy being in, you know, like a military bunk with the resistance, and they're like, oh, that guy's kind of weird, but he's genius, we don't mess with him, and then it turns out he's a Terminator the whole time and turns on them. Like, sort of like when they when they plant that guy in the Matrix, 
um, who's he's not a robot or anything, but they plant him on the agent side, and then he goes on a killing spree in the in the ship. You could do a thing like that with a guy like Rami Malek, and you know have that be a betrayal arc, and I think that'd be really fun. Um, I think that's the kind of the the enticing thing about that idea that they had here, and I wish they'd done it a, a little better. Where you could have gone so many avenues and made so many different Terminators if you'd pulled this off correctly. Yeah, definitely. They kind of tried to do this in the Terminator Genesis movie where, spoiler alert, the big reveal was that the bad guys were actually Matt Smith, famous for playing the 11th Doctor in Doctor Who, and Jason Clark, known for things such as the Rise and War of the Planet of the Apes movies. You could have had, they turned out to be bad and they turned out to be Terminators. You could almost do something like that too, just execute it a little better. And have them as like the sneaking suspicions, like, wow, we didn't know this person was the villain kind of thing. And that would be cool. Another thing, which I'm not sure who would be the right choice for this because Arnold was so iconic. But what made Arnold great was that he was at the time just a scary dude. You, if you would have been, I can't imagine seeing terminator one for the first time and seeing arnold and not just being terrified of what they portray as an unstoppable killing machine this man is physically imposing he's completely unwavering in every sense he has absolutely no emotional affect he is only there with the sole purpose of killing you and he will not stop until that job is done so maybe get an actor i thought josh brolin would have been a great choice for this because he might not be as big as arnold but i think he could play that line of he he could walk that line of being both captivating and kind of scary at the same time so i actually would really want to see that version yeah no i think i think that's to me the most disappointing thing about this movie is there was a lot of ways this movie could have gone and it didn't take the the right one and because of that we kind of sludged our way through until recently with terminator so hopefully we've turned a corner now with uh with this most recent installment and we can get going here um, but Christian, I think that's I think that's everything we wanted to cover. Is there anything else you would like to say to the viewers or listeners? It's famously an audio medium. Yeah, I want to say to all the viewers out there, how are you doing that? That's extremely horrifying and creepy, especially for the fact that you and I record this over a phone call, and I am famously recording this in my closet as we've established before on this podcast. So I don't know how you're viewing us, but maybe don't. But to all the listeners out there, I want to say thank you for, uh, you know, tuning in, for being a part of this journey that we have embarked in, you know, going way into the future of the far off year of 2018, as we have. And yeah, that is pretty much it for this week, Connor. Awesome. Well, Check us out on Twitter, that very famous social media platform. We are at Bad Movie Journal. You can also check us out on our personal Twitters. Uh, I'm at Captain Redbeard17. Captain spelled C P T Redbeard17. And Christian, you are at that Pap P A P. Yeah, that is it. Definitely give us a shout out. Follow us there for all the exciting updates. We pretty much regularly post whenever we're posting up a new episode. So if you want those notifications, make sure you follow us there. That is it for this week, Connor. Awesome, my friend. Well, there is a thing I tell you to do, and just like Jack Nicholson in his famous role, I want you to stay frosty. Stay frosty, Connor.